This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guests on Off the Shelf are from the Booz Allen Hamilton Immersive Solutions Practice. And we're going to be talking about uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, the technologies and how uh, Booz Allen is supporting the Department of Defense and delivering those capabilities across uh, the DOD enterprise. And throughout the show, we're going to have different subject matter experts from Booz Allen discussing different areas. Um, in the first segment, we have Shane Mathis. He's a lead associate with the aerospace account at Booz Allen Hamilton. And Elise Hibb, who is a lead technologist working on Immersive technology related healthcare and other areas. And guys, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So I, this is a great topic. I, I love it. And I um, I think before the show we were talking, you know, when I think of it, I think of my sons playing um, Madden or whatever they do at home. But just to set the stage real quickly, uh, Elise, what you know, just what is immersive? technologies. What are they just generally? And then we can start talking about um, where the technology is today. Sure. When we talk about immersive technologies, it's a family of different technologies. Um, We tend to think of virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. For virtual reality, you're typically immersed inside of a headset. You only see what's inside the headset. What's exciting about that is you can go anywhere in the world, whether it exists right now, exists in the past, may exist in the future, or exists in an alternate type of reality or a fantasy world. It's really great for training use cases because you can put somebody in an environment that they may experience in the future or in an environment like an emergency that you hope they never experience. And when we're talking about augmented reality, we see information, data, art, anything can be overlaid onto your current environment. So you see what you're seeing in real life, and then you see additional information on top of that. So this is a great use case if we think about operations. Um, Let's say we have a technician looking at a piece of equipment. They can look at that actual piece of equipment with instructions overlaid directly onto it. Instead of having to reference a manual back and forth, they can just look on target and see what they need to do to troubleshoot or maybe reference some materials that they've they've lost in their so I, when you when you say that I, I sort of think I don't I think it's okay to say like the Google glasses concept kind of thing where you're you're walking around in real life and you got information there or whatever you need right Does yes that sort of so that like? was a predecessor to what yeah. we're working with now yeah. now the the big type of device is uh, the new Hololens two that's coming out okay and you guys uh, Booz Allen um, the immersive technologies practice solutions practice was on the show about four or five years back, and we, you know, sort of introduce where the government was going and, and how Booz Allen was supporting, you know, the department in that case. And uh, Shane, you know, what can you talk a little bit about how technology has changed over the, over the last four or five years and where we are today? Sure. So I think, you know, when, when we were last on the show, what we had in terms of technology that was available was mostly just tethered headsets. And Although it was a good experience, I mean, it was it was a step up from anything that had existed in the past. So I would say around 2015, 2016 is when we started to see technology that was actually viable 
um, for training use, but it was tethered. And so, you know, part of that requirement was that you had to have a computer that could actually run that headset. So, you know, graphics cards and processors and everything else. Well, since that time, we've had another, a number of other vendors that have come on the scene with new headsets and they each have different capabilities and there's headsets now that are, that are standalone. So it doesn't require being tethered to a computer. The headset actually has the processor built in and you can load the application on there and, and generally they have Wi-Fi capabilities and everything else. So with all the different headsets that are available now, um, it really gives you options in terms of what types of solutions you build based on what the need or requirement is for the client. So it's really broadened the potential and the capabilities that can be brought into uh, whether it's training or operations. So if you if it's no longer tethered, does that get into the augmented reality as well? So you can take those lenses or the glasses or whatever you want to call them, um, headsets, and actually use them like we're in a studio. Theoretically, you could overlay the the board here and train somebody on how to manage the studio. Is that fair? Is that the capabilities it, it we is, have now? Um, I would still distinguish between the AR and VR. So uh, a standalone VR headset, you're still immersed in that environment, whatever it is, right? Um, but it usually it's going to have some kind of sensors on it that that still pick up on the space that you're in, so you're not running into walls and different things, you know, real real objects in the environment. And as I said, they each have different pros and cons to them. Some allow you to have room scale where you have freedom of movement in a larger area, whereas other types of VR that they don't, they're not room scale, so they're meant to really more be. Uh, maybe standing in one spot or just sitting in a chair when you use them. And so that's why you have a lot of different um, headsets with a lot of different use cases. And I think the general trend that we're seeing is we're still maintaining that power and graphic fidelity while decreasing the size and decreasing the cost. And what that does is it allows lots of different agencies and individuals to allow access to virtual reality. Whereas in the past, you may need a very strong computer and you need an entire headset, you need an entire dedicated room, now you can pop into an Oculus Quest and you can take that anywhere with you at any time. We're even working with different clients that have a lot of international um, training needs and we're able to introduce virtual reality for them. It, it seems to me, it sounds like we have the typical like technology pattern, right? Like, you know, it's first it's, you know, big and bulky and expensive. And as the technology develops, it gets smaller, faster, quicker, more dynamic in a certain sense. Exactly. So that's exactly what's happening. And I think with the integration of 5G, we're going to see a new type of technology explosion where we can really enter mixed reality and start to blend augmented reality and virtual reality. And with 5G, is that is that where you really see AI take off or, or machine learning in, in in terms of supporting it, you it'll, know, it'll certainly, reality? Yeah, it'll certainly support that. It'll it'll give us a, a really large advantage, I guess, in terms of the, being able to bring data into these environments um, to augment whatever it is. And, and when I use the word augment, I mean not in the terms of augmented reality, but using analytics and whether that's prescriptive analytics or descriptive, whatever type of analytics, or just tracking user performance, um, you're going to need those dedicated um, abilities to to access and transmit data between the headset and the cloud. So I wanted to ask you a trend, so because I'm a contracting the geek, so that's what I do, right? So you know, just generally, because I know we're going to get into some of the specifics and some of the other segments about how how you how you guys are supporting the department. 
Um, but how are you seeing, what are you seeing? Are you seeing OTAs? How are these transactions when people are trying to do some cutting edge sort of research on the use of the, the technologies you've been talking about? I think that's really where things are at right now. Where they have been for the past several months is um, there's been a big focus on prototyping, and that's where they've used OTAs and other contract vehicles like the BAAs. I haven't really seen that things have moved in the direction of large-scale program efforts sure. because people want to know that this is actually a viable solution that's going to produce the benefits that they want. Right. Elise, similar experiences with that? Yeah, what we're seeing is a lot of times we'll build out a prototype and then a client will build it into like a full training or a full type of experience. What's exciting is the Department of Defense is an early adopter. And so we're getting building many different experiences for them. And we're starting to see that civil spaces, especially in healthcare, become early adopters as well and be able to realize the power of immersive. And so, and uh, we've got about a minute left for this segment. I, I also, it just strikes me, you know, listening to you, as this technology um, helps tr- training with regard to folks, but does it also can measure how people respond? I mean, that's part of training too, like, you know, or even just how stressed they get or, you know, whether their heart rate increases and just handle how to handle stressful situations is is that part of the new capabilities that you're seeing? Oh, it's incredible. We can collect so much information now and very detailed analytics. This does a lot of things. Um, number one, it allows us to hone in on training needs, whether it's readiness. We can find out specifically not only how somebody performs in a training because they can often game the game, but what their body responds to the training. So we can, with biofeedback information and neurofeedback information, our, their bodies will tell us whether or not they're ready to enter a situation. And this pairs so nicely with virtual reality because in virtuality you can go anywhere. So we're seeing a lot of need for high-risk job training. If, let's say, we enter a laboratory, we enter an area that may have a safety concern like oil and gas or a mining area, or we may want to prepare somebody, what happens if there's a fire? And if they're able to enter that scenario and still maintain calm and we're able to record that with the biofeedback and neurofeedback, we know that they're ready to enter the situation and we don't want to send somebody in that's going to develop PTSD. Right. Presumably it helps folks figure out how to, you know, basically train that person or provide, you know, the type of support so that they can handle the stress in the future too, right? Yes. With them making their own choices and navigating the experience themselves by being fully immersed they feel more ready because they've done it before. Their brain actually tricks them into thinking that they've done it before. They've actually been into that experience. So when they do get deployed or enter their job site, they have that memory and they feel like they're ready to enter and feel more confident. Well, guys, we're up on the break. So I want to thank Shane Mathis and Elise Hibb for joining me for this segment to talk about uh, Booz Allen Hamilton's Immersive Solutions and uh, to, to set the stage with regard to looking at the technologies and the capabilities. In the next segment, we're going to t- be talking about some of the specific training applications um, that can benefit from immersive solutions and where things are going in that, in that regard. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Today, my guests are from Booz Allen Hamilton's Immersive solutions practice. We're talking about virtual reality technologies, augmented reality technologies, 
and how Booz Allen Hamilton is supporting the Department of Defense uh, in a myriad of different ways. And for this segment, my guests are Sandy Marshall. She is Chief Technologist leading Booz Allen Hamilton's immersive capability in civilian and health. And John Sherman, he's uh, Chief Technologist in Booz Allen Hamilton's Strategic Innovation Group and leads uh, Booz Allen's Austin, Austin, Texas. Yes. Oh, well, thanks for coming uh, all the way up here. Glad to be here. So, Sandy, thanks for coming. Appreciate that as well. Glad to be here. Um, This segment, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the the training uh, and other applications that – uh, can benefit from immersive solutions, and I'll just open it up. Which which one of you guys want to take the first shot at just sure. of talking about this? Sandy? Um, I think training is one of the biggest applications uh, for sure. I'd say seventy five percent of the work we do is in the is the training field. Um, like Elise mentioned in the earlier segment, we've done um, emergency medicine trainings that prepare people for um, deploying into battlefield. Um, I think training is an easy sell. Uh, but what we're really excited about is some of the other use cases we're starting to see for virtual reality. Maybe, John, you want to talk about planning? Yeah, sure. So, you know, mission planning, mission rehearsal, or even simulation is something uh, we've been experiencing a lot in, in an immersive environment. And that ability to, you know, we talk about often plan something, rehearse it. Um, eventually, you're going to execute some type of exercise or activity. And then to even review it in a virtual environment you know, plan versus actual um, is something that's really powerful and, and enables uh, people to improve whatever outcome that, that they were working toward. So when you describe that, John, I, I you know what I think about, I go back to my you know, days where, you know, like practice makes perfect, you know, just doing things over in different scenarios. Is that what you see the department like looking to take advantage of just in terms of training, whether it's the medical corps or other just different scenarios and changing the facts up and having people react to situations like you do in a basketball practice, for example, or, or a scrimmage or something like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Sandy mentioned the medical trainer. What's interesting about that one to me is in a virtual environment, we can create patients and scenarios that you put a user into, and actually with the different uh, artificial intelligence we've associated with it, you can not see the same patient for a thousand cycles through the application, right? So it's different each time what the, the severity level, the the actual condition you're responding to as you go in. And that application really was to go in and assess and triage the patient, right? So you're able to see a thousand different patients before you see the same patient with the same condition again. And it really allows you to practice that over and over in this environment immersed into the application. The other one um, that I think is a good example, training in a C-130 or C-17 aircraft, right? It's hard to get time in that aircraft on the aircraft. So experiencing that in a virtual environment, you can walk around the whole aircraft. You can go through a pre-flight checklist. You know where all the you know switches are. You know the procedures you have to follow. And you can do that in a virtual environment over and over and over so that when you actually get time in the aircraft, you've seen everything. You know where things are. You're comfortable. And so your your live training goes much better because you've had that virtual training. Right. So that's that help, supports like the enhanced decision-making capabilities of the folks who are flying that plane or doing that operation or whatever. But can you talk about how it, um, one of the other things like increased collaboration amongst different parts of an organization, how can virtual, you know, this capability support that? So I think a good example is planning. Uh, so with a, in VR, you can have a number of users dial in, do multiplayer experiences. When you're talking about things like um, figuring out how to, 
um, realign like a hospital building for like downsizing or construction. You can bring in the architects. You can bring in the providers. You can bring in the nurses who have to walk the floor. They can all look at the design together in virtual space. They can walk the floors of the building before it's even constructed. Um, You can run modeling and simulation on top of that, like pedestrian modeling. So you can reconfigure rooms, do a pedestrian modeling analysis, and um, then continue to adjust the floor layout for maximum patient throughput. It just really, um, it helps bring together a wide different group of users into one virtual space for advanced planning. Yeah, that seems pretty powerful to me because, you you know, if you've got the architects designing the building and the engineers, but then the people are actually going to be you know, using exactly. it or providing whatever service in that building, you get them all together. You know, the architect may not realize how a change is going to impact the, the you know the efficiency of the operation that's going to be in that building. Um, that seems pretty powerful to me. John, can you talk a little bit about you know one of the things that sort of struck me, and I think it's the maybe the tabletop commander ops. I just see this capability being very powerful, just at even a strategic level where people are trying to plan out scenarios in military conflict situations or just how certain situations arise and the potential variables and how to plan for them and that sort of thing. So what is that tabletop commander? Sure, yeah. So tabletop commander, when we talk about that, it's really um, any activity that's done in a physical space. You know, you can model that uh, physical environment uh, and then experience it in, in the virtual world. So whether it's a training range or it could also be you know a hospital floor plan or anything where you're model a physical space and then overlay some activity on top of it, right? So we've modeled training ranges and then you can wargame out the scenarios that might take place on that range. You can change the aspects of it and rerun it to see how things might come out better. Related to that, we, you know, we've worked to automate as much of it as possible so that a user can change things in the environment themselves and then rerun an experience to see if things, you know, run better or faster or, or, or improved in some way. Um, you know, another thing we've done recently in a similar is it's almost simulations, right? So you run some scenario with some factors in some number of assets or, or, or users, and, and then you rerun it with some different set of, of criteria to see if it improves, you know, one way or the other, whether you, it's faster or less expensive, more efficient in some way. Right. And you can, I guess you could also, if, if you're talking about uh, going through a scenario, you change the scenarios because like once the conflict begins, like I'm just thinking about that in general, like you know, that moving pieces on a on a chessboard or just how to react, the the scenarios change and the plane goes out the window the second the conflict starts, right? So you, I mean, it seems like it'd be a very powerful, you know, for leadership. It, it is, and the way we've tried to address that to allow changes to happen in the scenario is using natural language processing and artificial intelligence, so that. You can use documents or planning uh, information that exists, and then it's ingested into the virtual environment and generates that scenario in an automated way. You can change those plans, rerun the scenario, and again, it generates the the virtual environment again, but in a different form. So you can see the changes in whether it improved, whether things are positioned in a more efficient way. Whatever you're trying to go for in that training scenario environment, uh, you can see how changes affect it and whether it improves it or not. Right. Sandy, I wanted to ask you when we've got about a minute left, um, these segments go really fast, especially interesting topic like this. Do you see it supporting, you know, research and development, you know, in, in terms of what it can do to either facilitate 
uh, designs or, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about buildings, but just generally research and development and prototyping. Yeah, I think there's a lot of emerging use cases coming out in, in R&D. I mean, one of them building on what John said is now with the explosion of IoT and sensor integration um, and the uh, new plugins that are available for the game engines we use to build these experiences, we can actually bring in like the architectural models of, of real-world items and then use uh, live data feeds from the sensors that are integrated in those items in the real world to um, really understand how they're being utilized. That then, if you can really see how your users are using your products in the real world and gather and assess that data at a large scale, will greatly inform um, your next iteration of that design. All right. Well, guys, I, as I, I said, this, these segments go fast. We're already up on the break. Um, when we come back, we'll continue to talk about um, the immersive solutions world and talk focus more on augmented reality uh, which I want to learn a lot more about. Um, I want to thank my guest for this segment, Sandy Marshall, who is a chief technologist leading Booz Allen's immersive capability in civilian and health, and John Sherman is chief technologist in Booz Allen Hamilton's strategic innovation group. Guys, thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to the next segment. Great. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today are from the Booz Allen Hamilton Immersive Solutions Practice, and we've been talking immersive solution technologies, how they support all kinds of different operations, training, and that sort of thing, um, and specifically also how Booz Allen is supporting the Department of Defense. And for this segment, we're going to talk a lot about and get do a deeper diving to augmented reality. My guests for the segment are Joel Ward. He's a senior lead technologist uh, for Booz Allen Hamilton, focusing on, on the Army. We have Sam Hendricks. He is a chief technologist focusing on supporting the Navy and Marine Corps. And Andy Shaw, who is a senior associate, who's focusing in his analytical efforts for Booz Allen and military capability and readiness uh, analysis and solutions. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for Thanks. having us. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And first of all, I'm just going to throw it out there. Can you guys really just, can you talk about augmented reality and describe, you know, how it's different from virtual reality, um, just sort of the big picture? Yeah, sure. So, Augmented reality kind of is what it says it is. It's uh, augmenting the real world with digital information. Primarily, you'll um, maybe actually have experienced this in certain cases, like uh, with some games such as Pokemon Go, or if you've ever used an Instagram filter where it puts a funny hat on your head or weird glasses. That's uh, that's the so digital that Pokemon Go. Is that the one where people are running around yeah. like my neighborhood? Go, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got it. That's exactly okay. it. So um, really with augmented reality, uh, there's a continuum, uh, definitely with virtual and augmented reality, there's a continuum where you can start from something as basic as a phone, but also going up to as a high-end headset. Um, my colleague to, to my side here is actually wearing one right now, looking at his notes, which is pretty funny. Yeah, and I know I'm, I just, I'm getting nervous there, so, but go ahead. So uh, we um, really kind of want to point out that this technology is evolving and ever-changing and one of the big things that i think we should note is there is kind of a convergence happening between virtual and augmented reality where the headsets are capable of kind of doing both um and what we're focused on at booz allen 
primarily is the head-mounted displays. And the reason being is the use cases that we have for our military customers are um, where they're in situations in which they probably want to be using both hands. They don't necessarily want to be uh, holding something in their hands. And um, it needs to be mobile and not tethered to uh, a wire that leads to a computer. So they're kind of out in the world doing things with these devices, um, such as, I guess, Andy, we could talk. Um, yeah, some Andy, can you, what are some of the, you know, some of the areas where this augmented reality would better serve the, you know, the warfighter, the department, and virtual reality capabilities? One of the first places we got started in, in thinking about use of augmented reality is in um, procedural items like uh, aircraft maintenance, um, equipment maintenance. And so if you think about the continuum of training from books to virtual reality to then you're taking augmented reality on the job and you're using it as a performance aid more than a training aid. And so you're, as as Joel's uh, demonstrating here, he's got the headset on looking at his notes um, while he's looking at you. And so the same thing happens with the guy that's doing maintenance on the on the flight line. He's got his notes that are telling him exactly what procedures he's to follow as he's doing his maintenance without carrying a book or a tablet with him. And I guess another really interesting aspect here as, as these, these technologies evolve is you can overlay even in the, in the maintenance environment, not just the procedure, but maybe some kind of um, sensor that uh, is telling you a reading on this device and you know that it's out of whack because the sensor tells you that. And so then you need yeah, I was to going to ask the, but the sort of like diagnostic yeah. aspect of it as well. Right. Yeah. You can also tie into, um, uh, a remote assistance capability. For instance, a lot of times the Navy will deploy a smaller unit that doesn't have all of their maintenance capabilities with them aboard ship or to a, a forward air base. And, um, if you get into a situation where you're doing maintenance, you didn't anticipate doing that. The augmented reality headset has a camera on it connected to the internet and the guy in Norfolk, Virginia can see what you're doing when you're out in the middle of the desert and he can walk you through the procedure and help you out. But that's wow. actually a really good point too for other things other than maintenance. When you have a situation in which you're in a novel kind of environment and maybe say for example you have to triage a patient and you're not a you're not a a corpsman or something, if you had an augmented reality capability where you're um, able to call in a remote assist from a remote expert. It's kind of democratization, d- democratizing the the expertise um, on the battlefield. So, you know, you're taking their blood pressure, you're applying a tourniquet, that kind of thing that maybe a, um, you know, guy just out of high school who joined the military wouldn't necessarily have been trained up on. Um, they can they can ask a, 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 a an actual expert to come in and, and assist them with that. Sort of piggybacking sure. off of that, by the way, back to the sensors combined with that, um, if you have sensors on the person elsewhere, you can bring those feeds into the augmented reality and also share it among the group. Mm-hmm. And so for that person trying to help the, the, the injured, the other injured person, they could be sending data back to a doctor and vice versa uh, and, and then overlaying that on top of the patient and sort of helping the whole process uh, be much faster and also much more accurate. So that leads to my next question, Joel. So you've got the the headset on, right? <laughs> yeah. So are you, what are you really looking at? I can't. I don't, you, yes. Are you really looking at your nose for this? I'm really looking at my nose. <laughs> uh, okay. I promise. Uh, so I have a Microsoft Hololens <laughs> two on right now. Okay. And I actually have my uh, my email up, and I brought up the notes that we put together for this just to, to keep our our um, discussion going. Um, and so this is a great use. And this is things I've been trying to use this for. Sure. Uh, this is essentially it's a Windows desktop. Right, so 
uh, I can bring up different Windows applications, and that's one use of a headset like this. Um, we obviously want to build on top of that for the things we're talking about here, training, um, maintenance, uh, even collaboration. Um, but the idea is that I can still be having this conversation with everybody. I can still see everything here versus virtual reality, which takes me out of the wor- this world, which uh, has its great uses as well, but of right. course doesn't allow you to walk around. I so actually, I can still walk around to do this. Yeah, yeah I, I think also we, Sandy earlier was discussing kind of doing facilities planning and, and doing that as a collaborative kind of thing in virtual reality. Uh, with augmented reality, you are, as I, as I said earlier, augmenting the real world. So you can actually take that facilities plan and walk through the built environment with the the plan and collaborate. You know, maybe you're actually collaborating with a virtual person who's not even in the physical space, but you're in the physical space. You just happen to have a headset and you're able to kind of see what <clears throat> they developed in the actual environment. Yeah, Sam, if I could, I, I think sure. that's a really right. good segue with what Sandy was saying about doing a prototype of the facility before it's built. What we're talking about here with augmented reality is perhaps the facility is partially built or you're renovating something, uh, like putting a new kitchen in your in your home. You can build out in, in digital the new environment or try out different spaces and different walls in augmented reality, walk around in the real space overlaid with changes of the space. Yeah, that's, that's pretty powerful stuff. So, and then now... Joel, like that that headset is yes. pretty darn small. I mean, I I, I would it, the technology seems like it's gone come a long way in it terms has. of yes, the, and I can even see your eyes. Yeah, oh, and actually, so this is the Hololens, so I can actually flip this up. Yeah, uh, the original Hololens was actually a little bit larger, um, not not as comfortable. That they've improved a lot with the comfort and the size. The goal is to get to what you're wearing. You're wearing glasses, um, Andy and Sam wearing glasses. That's the goal. That's where all these companies are going to, Microsoft, uh, Magic Leap, even Apple, all the companies, Facebook, Oculus, I can go on. They're all trying to make glasses this right, size, right. With, with even with the, the computing power in it. By the way, the whole computer is in my, on my head right now. Right. And wow. so that's, that's the goal where you don't have to even be tethered to something else and you have full view and not only two-dimensional information but three-dimensional information. So this is actually showing me depth. So I can actually move this window here around and sort of set up a three-dimensional virtual sure. space, not just two-dimensional. So what, now I'm thinking about like Iron Man, right? Yeah. No, yeah Tony Stark. Yeah. yeah. Like building. But, <laughs> but even go. the worker bees kind of, you know, you won't have monitors sitting on your desk in this far-flung sure. future. You'll you'll have virtual displays essentially floating out in front of you. So. Yeah. And we do have a minute left. So do talk some more about where is the future going in this in this space? Other ca- any other capabilities? Well, I think that he, you talked about the far-flung future. I mean, I don't know how many people saw the, the recent movie. Um, Ready Player One? Ready Player yes. One. I mean, that's <laughs> yes. the far-flung future yeah. where, theoretically, you're completely immersed in, a, in an environment that has haptic feedback, uh, temperature, um, all those other things that you can, you can change your environment completely. And then with augmented reality, the same sort of thing. You can go back to the original thoughts with uh, – the Google Glass. You could be walking down the street and have your computer on your head, going through your emails or navigating you through the city. Right. Pretty amazing stuff. And guys, I want to want to thank you for this segment. And uh, I, you know, we we got to keep doing this and come back and talk about like who knows what's next. Um, I want to thank my guests for this segment, Joel Ward. He is senior lead technologist, uh, focusing on the Army. Sam Hendricks. He's a chief technologist and 
He focuses on Navy uh, operations and Marine Corps. And Andy Shaw, who's uh, a senior associate focusing on military capability and readiness, all part of the Booz Allen Hamilton Immersive Solutions Practice. Guys, thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you, Thanks for your time. When we come back, we'll be talking about the road ahead for immersive solutions at the Department of Defense. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio. I'm Roger Waldron, and my guests today have been from the Booz Allen Hamilton Immersive Solutions Practice. And for this last segment, we're going to take a look at um, the road ahead for immersive solutions at the Department of Defense. And joining me are Shane Mathis. Is, uh, he's back, uh, lead associate um, in the working and focusing on aerospace. And John Sherman is a chief technologist uh, in Booz Allen Hamilton's Strategic Innovation Group. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I'm looking forward to the to this conversation, just talking generally about where the department is going, um, what capabilities you see them taking advantage of, and just also the challenges and opportunities around that. Um, so first of all, just with the way technology is changing and the benefits of this capabilities, technologies, um, to support uh, DOD's mission, where do you think where do you where do you see this heading? Big picture. So you know, we talked some about the the hardware that we use in this in this technology and, and some of the software. I think the technology is going to continue to improve, um, right? So in you know a previous segment, Joel had on a headset that's gotten smaller from the previous version. Sure. Um, yeah. But there's 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 a number of different uh, headsets that are continually coming out that. We try to look at and figure out which one meets the requirements best, you know, whether it's something with a wire, something, you know, that's more mobile. There's also improvements and and different ways to employ the technology. Um, There's wireless adapters. There's backpack computers that you can use with uh, wired headsets to improve, you know, the the experience. Um, So I think the, the technology will continue to improve and also the use cases continue to evolve, it seems like. Um, from what we're seeing, so that you can use the technology in in additional ways. Right. Well, I want to jump in here too. Yeah, and, go ahead, and, and just add that um, I think it's important to point out that we also have to look at what the expected ROI is for the technology, because there are so many startups and there are so many devices hitting the, the market, and they don't all survive. Some are only here for six months and then and then they're gone. And so that's part of this too. Is that you know as it goes forward, we've got to evaluate. Not only which ones provide the best features or capabilities, but which ones are most likely to be viable for the long term. Right. Well, it seems to me that the potential for this in terms of its applications across any organization, and particularly an organization like the Department of Defense who has its in its unique mission, I mean, the, the, the potential is kind of – we haven't even really scratched the surface yet, have we? I think we say that often, right? What can this technology can be used for is really only limited by our imaginations, right? Because you sure. can put yourself in any kind of environment, any any place, any situation, um, you know. So every requirement that we kind of uh, evaluate, applying the right technology to that requirement is seems often the most important part of it, right? Fitting the technology or the headset, whether it's mobile or, or wired, um, whatever you're trying to do with it, you know, there's some tech additional technologies that can apply haptic feedback so you can feel in the virtual environment. Um, you know, there's smells you can introduce in the virtual environment. And, and to Shane's point, really, the return on investment, 
you know, if it's a scenario that you do often or it's a, an important situation where smell matters, right, that's when we look to incorporate those kind of things. But, it, you know, there's also more immersive ways to just train and learn than, than maybe we're, we're using now. And so that you can have something on, on a phone that's in, in AR or that, you know, sure. that an airman can take back to the, the dorm at the end of every day and practice and continue to study um, and doesn't require a headset or, you know, a computer or other scenarios do require that headset and the computer. And, and in those cases, you have that. So, Shane, talk to me about some of these things that potentially a department could, could, could focus on or look at or in terms of the technology and how it's evolving is, you know, the, I guess brain and computer interfaces or measuring emotions. Um, right. So there's, know. yeah, there's a number of different devices right now that have the capability to do, you know, to track eye movements, to track, uh, you can have sensors that track heart rates, that track um, perspiration. Um, but all of these things together combine to to provide a capability where you can assess somebody's cognitive um, load and whether or not they're really engaging in that environment or whether they're being overcome by it. Um, sure. So that's one area that that can really be a focus. The other thing that we haven't really touched on is the where things are going to go probably is is the use of artificial intelligence. And that essentially allows us to create much more realistic experiences uh, through the use of either you know, random, random gener- generated uh, scenes or objects in a scene, or probably more, more likely is the use of an AI-driven character, where if it's training, you've got an instructor there with you, that's, and that's driven by AI. Or if it's you know, small unit tactics training, maybe your, your enemies or, or hostiles in that environment are driven by AI, and they respond to your inputs and what you do. Um, so that's probably going to be a a big push in the future is moving that direction. Um, man, that's just that blows my mind when you describe that. Like AI is the an enemy in a certain in a training scenario. That's that's sounds just fascinating stuff. So one of the things I want to get your guys' thoughts on um, too is just the idea of how how the, you know the the challenge and the opportunities of all these technologies going on. There's a lot going on in terms of the department you know, looking at different uh, capabilities in different parts of the department. You know, just talk about generally, the you know, that, that balance between folks going out and trying to innovate um, and does, you know, does does the Army know what the Navy's doing? Are there, you know, there's duplication. I mean, how do you, what do you think needs to be done in this area to try to can get, you mentioned return on investment to get the maximum return on on an investment on what the department is doing across the board in this. Just do you guys have some thoughts on that? So there's a lot going on, I think, and that's an understatement. You know, everybody right now is looking towards um, capitalizing on innovation and how do we do it best. And so there's a number of initiatives in in every branch, you know, of the service, um, and a lot of these right now are just focused on prototyping or experimenting. And it's, you know, and I think that there is an effort, uh, say, from the Air Force to learn from what the Navy's doing or the Navy to learn from what the Army's doing. Everybody's looking at that, but it doesn't mean that everybody's talking. Um, right. And it right. doesn't mean that, you know, that that the way one person or one unit does it is going to be the way that somebody else does. Um, they learn from each other and then they adapt and then they come out and they want to do, an, you know, let's modify this, let's let's prototype this our way. 
Um, and that's really where things are for the most part is in that prototype stage. So the the great thing about this technology and a lot of the experiences we create is it can be reusable. So, um, you know, and, and I think something we do a lot of because we do work across all the different uh, Department of Defense organizations is we, we are able to share some of the lessons learned, you know, sure. even experiences that we've created. If there's parts of it that can be applied in a different scenario, um, a lot of it is modular. So you can take things and not have to recreate them. Um, so that is a, a great thing. And I think it is something we're seeing uh, government organizations starting to do, um, branches uh, doing more, right, taking pieces and sharing them with other branches or internally within um, within an organization, um, things that can be reused and, and, and then you save, you know, time and, and, and money and, and get the experience you need in the end in a, in a more efficient way. So um, just – and we have about a minute left now too. So uh, all that effort going on and just – Talk to me you know, thoughts about you know the scalability of this and the you know how the challenges of moving from you know uh, immersive to like a major program you know that's it seems to me to be then part of the next steps right right I think that's that is the next step is is getting past the prototype phase and then determining you know for the departments which which solutions are again go back to the RI which ones are going to provide us what we need. Uh, and and it could be more than one, but but deciding on that and then developing the standards for integrating that and for using it effectively. Um, and one thing that we hadn't talked about yet is even is this the cybersecurity, and that's a yeah. big that's a big piece of this because of all the data sharing uh, to make it work and to connect and to communicate. Um, so there's a lot of things there that need to be solved, and it's going to have to happen at more of a program level and not prototyping and and smaller efforts like OTAs. Right. That that does seem like the next step to make it more of an enterprise solution. Uh, but, you know, organizations are and we are helping them find ways to deploy this capability now, similar with, with the Air Force. But it is more, you know, service-specific or even organization-specific, taking this capability and deploying it, you know, throughout the organization. So taking it to that next enterprise level, I, I, I do think is really the next step. Right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. My guests for this segment have been – John Sherman, he's a chief technologist in Booz Allen Hamilton Strategic Innovation Group, and Shane Mathis is a lead associate on Booz Allen Hamilton's aerospace practice. Uh, and we've been talking about Booz Allen Hamilton's immersive solutions practice. It's support of the Department of Defense and yeah, where the technology is going. And guys, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. And all the Booz Allen team. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.